you would have me to say, and that I could be a blessing uh, to those who are here, and that your word could speak through me to all of us, and also, Father, that you would help the time that we have uh, set aside for the for for the fellowship and the and the Christmas party and all that. We love you, Father, in your precious name. I pray, Amen. All right. Well, we've been preaching on Sunday nights through the life of Joseph, and uh, more generally through the uh, book of Genesis. And we're just getting ready to finish up the life of Joseph, the book of uh, Genesis. We're preaching tonight, and then next Sunday night, and then we're done with Genesis, and then we're off to the soul winning series on in January. But um, tonight, you know, Jacob is getting ready to die. If you remember from last week, he's getting ready to die, literally on his deathbed. And if you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, And Jacob called unto his sons, and said, Gather yourself together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Jacob's on his deathbed. He's getting ready to die. He brings his twelve sons together, and he's give them, going to give them each one last challenge, one last rebuke, one last uh, talk before he dies. Literally, after he's done with this conversation, the Bible says he puts his feet in his bed, and he gives up the ghost, and he dies. And these are the last words he says to his sons. And uh, he really prophesies. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and it's very, you know, we hear Joseph, uh, Jacob talk in a different way than we've ever heard him talk before. Very eloquent, very prophetic type. And, and he gives a lot of different things. Now let me tell you something right now. To give this passage justice is not going to happen tonight. I mean, to give this passage justice, we could literally do a 12-week series on what Jacob told each one of his sons and prove that from the Bible and going through the tribes and all that. We don't have time for that because you want ham. And I want ham. And you know my rule, whenever you got food after the service, I try to do it fast. But you got to keep up, alright? So, here's what I'm going to do because it's just not, it's going to be too much. I'm going to give you just 12 real quick thoughts on just a few things that Jacob mentioned. We're not going to be able to go through everything that he talked about. We're not going to be able to give it the depth that it requires. Maybe one day we will. But I want to give you just 12 thoughts about the sons of Israel. You need to understand that Jacob is prophesying to them. If you look at the last phrase of verse 1, it says, That which shall befall you in the last days. Okay? He's literally going to tell them about their future. If you look at verse number 28... It says, all these are the twelve, notice it doesn't say sons of Israel, it says the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is, you know, in this chapter for the first time, not in this verse, but for the first time in this chapter, they're referred to in the Bible as the tribes of Israel. And these are the men whose families will form this chosen nation of God in there in the Old Testament. And he's telling them how they're going to be. And something very interesting for you to notice before we even get started, is that Jacob can see, and obviously the Holy Ghost has come up upon him, and the Holy Ghost is helping him see the future, but Jacob is able to see the future of his sons, and the future of their families, based on the character and their life of today. And that's something very interesting you must understand. I, I heard a very good quote once, and I want to read it for you. It's very simple. It says, you will be what you are becoming. You will be what you are becoming. And Jacob watched his sons, and he watched what they were, and he said, I can tell you what you're going to be. I can tell you what your future holds for you. I can tell you the kind of children, and the kind of family, and the kind of descendants you're going to raise based on what you are right now. And what you are right now, and the type of character and integrity, and the things you do today, are the things you will be, and the things your family will be in the future. You will be what you are becoming. 
And if you don't like what you're becoming, then you've got the wonderful privilege to change that. And you can change, you know, you don't have to continue in the same sins and the same wrong and the same path that your families and your descendants are. You can change that. And you can, you know what? We're, we're breaking the cycle right now. Yes. But Jacob looked at his sons and he says, let me tell you about the future. Number one, he said, Reuben. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, his firstborn son. My might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Reuben's mother was Leah, the first wife that Jacob had. Jacob had four wives. Two wives and two concubines, however you want to see it. And the history of Reuben, we know a little bit about Reuben. Obviously, we know the history generally of the twelve sons as they uh, sold uh, Joseph into slavery and all those things. But we're also told that Reuben actually committed adultery and committed incest with sleeping with Bilhah, his father's concubine, his father's wife. Now, it wasn't his mother, but it was his stepmother. And Jacob, and, and when this happened earlier in the book of Genesis, Jacob d- did not address it. Jacob just let it go. But near, here on his deathbed, I guess he's a bitter old man or something, he decides to bring it up. But I want you to see something very, very interesting about, about Reuben. It says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. You know, the interesting about Reuben is that he had a lot of potential. Jacob looked at him and he said, you're the excellency of my dignity, you're the excellency of power, you're the beginning of my strength. Reuben, you had so much going for you. You were, you were just by default going to be given the double portion. Remember we talked about that, the double portion, how it was taken for Reuben and given to Joseph? Just by being the firstborn, you had everything going for you. You had all this potential, you had all this strength, and, and all the charisma that you needed. But Reuben had a flaw. He could not capitalize on those things that he was that he had by natural, you know, uh, by just being born the firstborn and all that. Look at verse number four. He, he, Jacob says, "You've got all this coin for you, Reuben." But in verse four, he says, "Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it." He went up to my couch. Ouch! Isn't that interesting? Now, could you imagine Reuben having your father on his deathbed tell you that? He says, Reuben, you've got so much. You're the excellency of power, excellency of strength, the beginning of my strength. But he said, you will never excel in life. And here's why, Reuben. Unstable as waters. That's you. How stable is water? Is water a good foundation? Could you build a house on water? Water is very unstable. Water, you know, and the thing with water is that it always goes to the lowest level it can possibly find. And Jacob looked at Reuben and he said, you are as unstable as water. Go with me quickly to James chapter number 1. You've got to move quickly tonight or else, uh, you know, the food's going to just get you. And, and you're going to fall asleep before you even ate, eat. So, uh, James chapter number 1, towards the end of your New Testament, James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1, and look at verse number 8. Look at what it says. James chapter number 1 and verse 8. Look at what the Bible says. 
A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do you see that? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Nothing we could learn about Reuben is to not be double-minded. You say, what does double-minded mean? It means you're here and you're there. It means you don't really know which is what we were talking about this morning. You don't really know what you believe. You don't really know what you stand for. You don't really know what your family stands for. You don't really know where you're going in life. You don't, you know, today you're this, tomorrow you're that. So today you're a Baptist, tomorrow you're Pentecostal. Today you're King James, tomorrow you're New King James. Today you believe salvation by faith, tomorrow you believe salvation by work. You're a double-minded. You don't really know, you know, what you believe, what you stand for. And the Bible says, hey, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You ever see somebody who has so much potential? You know, I often, you know, just as a leader, you know, I often look at people and think, man, that person has so much potential. That person could be such a good soul winner. That person could do this. That person could do that. That person could lead this future ministry and that future ministry. But I think to myself, unfortunately, I'll never be able to capitalize on that. Why? Because they're unstable. Why? Because they're double-minded. Why? You know, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus Christ was as a flint. He just had a, he was dedicated, he had a goal, he had a mission, and he accomplished much. Reuben was an unstable man. You can go back to Genesis 49, it says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, verse 4, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. He begins, in verse 5, he goes down to his next two sons, and his next two sons, he talks about together. Verse 5, he says, Simeon and Levi are brethren. And look, look at how he describes these two boys, these two men. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. He uses the word cruel or cruelty to describe them. O oh my soul, come not thou into their secrets. Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. Look what it says. This is how he describes these two young men. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Notice the adjectives that he used to describe these two men. He said cruel. He said anger. He said self-will. He said fears. He said wrath. Do you remember the story of Simeon and Levi? I don't want to get too much into it, but if you remember earlier in the book of Genesis, Simeon and Levi literally murdered every man in the city of Shechem to get revenge. And Jacob looked at those boys and said, you guys are cruel and you guys are angry, you guys are wrathful and you guys are fierce. And let me tell you something, as Christians we ought to be the opposite of that. Go with me uh, real quickly to Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. And you know we all deal with anger problems, especially if you're a man. I mean I think that's natural. If you're the type of man that just likes to be, you know picked on and, and, and not get angry about it, there's something probably wrong with you. But we all have to deal, I mean, I struggle with anger. But we all have to deal with that anger. Look at Proverbs chapter number uh, 14. Look at verse number 29. Look what the Bible says. Proverbs 14, verse 29. Look what it says. He that is slow to wrath. The word wrath means anger. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit 
exalted folly. The Bible says we ought to be slow to wrath. Look, you're there in Proverbs 14. Look at Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. Look what it says. Proverbs chapter number 15, 18. It says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Look at Proverbs 16.32, very next chapter. Proverbs 16.32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The Bible says we ought to be slow to anger. The Bible says we ought to control our spirit. And we ought to, you know, control our actions and control the things we say and control. You know, as Christians, we ought not be these emotional basket cases that just constantly let our emotions run. You know, we are constantly saying something and we regret it later. We're constantly doing something and we regret it later. You know, just, you know, your emotions take over and you're always just mad about something. Angry. That's not how we should be. We ought to be slow to anger. I'm preaching to myself. I, I struggle with this. And these men were described as cruel, anger, self-will, that's selfish. Fierce. Not only that, but look at Judah. Judah, chapter number, uh, um, sorry, Genesis 49, look at verse 8. Genesis 49, 8. He goes up to his son Judah. Do you remember Judah? We spent some time talking about Judah. Remember Judah? We saw Judah's sin. And all the things that happened when he went to a prostitute. She, he thought that she was a prostitute and it was his, his daughter-in-law just pretending to be a prostitute and all that sin and that filth. Remember when God really magnified Judah's sin to us? Right as we began the life of Joseph? But if you remember, Judah's the one that got right. Remember when God did all those things and all those circumstances and He, he brought all, the, all those events to bring those 12 men to Himself, or 11 men to Himself, to bring those 11 men to get right with God. The only one that responded was Judah. And Judah got right with God. And here's the beautiful thing. Up to this point, Jacob has talked about three of his sons. And he's brought up their sin. He's brought up their filth. He's brought up their bad attitude. And Judah is probably shaking in his boots at this moment. Because he's thinking, he's thinking, he's going to bring up all the dirty laundry that I've committed. He's going to bring up all the bad things I've done. He did it for my brother Reuben. He did it for my brother Simeon. He did it for my brother Levi. I don't want him to talk about me, but here's a beautiful thing. Look at Judah chapter number 8. He says, Judah, thou art him whom, him whom he whom thy brethren shall praise. You see that? I'm sure when, when he heard those words, Jacob, you know, Judah just, uh, he didn't talk about my sin. And here's a beautiful thing. Remember when we were preaching about the judgment seat of Christ? See, when you get right and you're forgiven, it's not brought, brought back up. Jacob, you know, I've heard people call this chapter the judgment seat of Jacob. <laughs> and Jacob looks over Judah's sin. Jacob looks past Judah. It's almost as if Jacob has forgotten the sins of Judah. It's almost as if Jacob has put his sins behind his back, has cast them in the deepest sea, has separated them as far as the east is from the west. He just can't even remember them. Why? Because Judah got right. And it says Judah, and he talks about certain things with Judah. I don't want to spend too much time with it. But uh, is, he, he deals in verse 8 with Judah being the leader. Judah... Joseph took the double portion, but Judah took the birthright. He took the, the right of the leadership. And it says, Judah, thou art him whom thy brethren shall praise, and his name literally means praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Do you see that? He said, thy father's children, Jacob's children, shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion. 
A lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up, he stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He said, and God prophesied at this point, and here's the interesting thing, Jacob never saw Judah take the leadership role. And even, you know, the first king of Israel was a Benjamite. But when King David became king, the Bible says that God made a covenant with David. And the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Judah came all the kings. And by the way, from the tribe of Judah came the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the time to show it to you, but in Revelation 5.5, the Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's very interesting that in verse 9, Jacob refers to Judah as a lion. He said, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And then the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you know, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And all the kings came from Judah. The, the nation of Israel, when it separated, the southern kingdom became the kingdom of Judah. The Bible says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And look what it says, until Shiloh come. Now if you study Shiloh in the Bible, Shiloh is a city. But Shiloh becomes a city after this passage. And the first time the word Shiloh is mentioned in the Bible, it's referred to as a person. You see I said, uh, from between me, until Shiloh come, and unto him, that him is referring to Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. I believe, you know, I, I, I mean I don't know exactly, but I believe this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that Shiloh means peace. And some people say, you know, Hebrew, uh, the word Shalom means peace. And I hate going back to other, you know, languages and stuff but to prove points. But that's what we're told. And that Shiloh comes from the same root words and it means peace. And guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ was referred to as the Prince of Peace. And Judah was told that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. He said, you will always have the scepter represented a king, represented a leader. And the lawgiver represented a king. And he said, you're going to have the leadership in, in your tribe, Judah. That is, until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He talks about Judah being the leader. He talks about Judah bringing the Lord, that's Shiloh. He talks about Judah's land. He says, Binding his foal into the vine, and his ass was colt into the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grape. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Look at verse 13. Zebulun. Zebulun is the fifth son. And by the way, Jacob, it seems as if Jacob is just going down the line based on how they're gathered around his bed. Because he's not going, you know, he's not descending in age or anything like that. He make, you know, some of them are not mixed, are mixed up in there. But in verse 13 it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea. And he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Now Zebulun was also the son of Leah. And we're not told any history about him. The Bible doesn't go into details about Zebulun. All we know about Zebulun is what we know about all the twelve sons. When it talks about, you know, like we talked about the twelve sons sold Joseph into slavery. We're not told of anything individually about Zebulun. And we're not given much details here. We're only really, he's mentioning the future location of the tribe. 
And he says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his borders shall be unto Zion. And if you study books, and you look it up on the internet or whatever, Zeb, you know, people are, they, can't, they don't even know exactly where the borders were of Zebulun's tribe in Israel. They're not even sure exactly where they were. But I believe they're exactly where Jacob said they were, because it's in the Word of God. Look at verse 14. Issachar. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. Now, the, the word ass is referring to a donkey. That's what it means. And the Bible says that Jacob looked at Issachar, and here's what he said. He's a strong ass. He's a strong donkey. Now, I don't know if I'd want to be called that, you know, by my father. But he, he, he was talking, you know, in those days, a, a donkey or a mule or an ass, you know, those were work animals. They used those animals to work. And he said, man, this guy is a strong worker. That's, that's nice. But look what it says. Look at what Very interesting. He said, Issachar is a strong ass. Look what he says. Couching down between two burdens. Notice he said, there's two burdens. What's a burden? Something he carries. A burden. And he said, he's not carrying those burdens. He's couching down between the burdens. Why is he doing that? Look at verse 15. And he saw, this is the strong ass, the strong ass saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulders to bear. <coughs> you see that? I don't know if you understand what he's talking about, but he's saying, he's saying, you know, uh, Issachar, you're like a really strong working donkey. You can do a lot. But the problem with you is that when you saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant, you bowed your shoulder to bear. He's saying you, you have so much strength, you can produce so much work, but you saw, you saw the field and you said, wow, that's so pleasant, it's so nice. And you saw that rest was so nice. And you bowed down and you rested. And what's the problem with that? Look what it says. Look at 15. And he saw the rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became, look what it says, and became a servant unto tribute. Jacob told Issachar, you are very strong, you could do a lot of work, but your problem is, Issachar, you're lazy. And because you're lazy, you're going to become a servant. You're going to become a slave. They're going to take you. Look at Proverbs 20. Let's do it quickly. Proverbs 20, chapter number 13. Proverbs 20, chapter number 13. Proverbs 20, 13. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 13, it says, Love not sleep. Why? He says, Love not sleep. Here's why. Lest thou come to poverty... Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. He said, I don't have, man, I'm so broke, and I'm in poverty, I'm so poor. You know, the Bible says it, and, and, and business books, and statistically it's proven. Usually, the majority of people that are in poverty, are in poverty because they're lazy. Bottom line. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm not trying to me, I'm just trying to tell you. And people, the majority of people who live in poverty, sleep more than the average sector of society. It's a proven fact. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And the, and the Bible says, Love not 
sleep. He said, why should I not love sleep? Because you'll come to poverty. He says, if you want to be poor, then sleep. But if you want to, you know, have bread, if you want to be satisfied with bread, if you want to have nice things, he said, open thou thine eyes. He said, open thine eyes. When you're, you know, when you're And Jacob looked at his son and he said, you're a really strong ass. You can do a lot of work. But your problem is you're lazy. So you're going to become a servant. He said, you're going to become a servant unto tribute. The word tribute means like paying taxes because you're a slave. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about taxes, but I don't like it. Look at verse 16. He moves on to his son Dan. It says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Now don't miss the, the power in that verse. See, you've got to understand that up to this point, Jacob has been talking to his sons who came from his wife Leah. But if you remember, Jacob had his wife Leah, and then the woman he actually loved, and the one he wanted to marry, but he got tricked into marrying Leah, Rachel. And then he had a concubine, the handmaidens of Leah and Rachel. And when Jacob has been talking to his sons from his wife, Leah, and when he comes to Dan, he comes to the first son who was born from a concubine. Dan's mother was Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Rachel's servant. She's a concubine. She's not even really considered a real wife. And Dan's probably thinking to himself, is he even going to consider me an actual son? Because I'm, I'm just, my mother's a slave. And the first thing that Jacob says to that son in verse 16, he says, Dan, look at this, so beautiful. He says, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Just with that statement, that's the first time tribes of Israel is mentioned. And he says, Dan, you're going to be a tribe of as much as Reuben, as much as Simeon, as much as Levi, as much as Judah. Let me tell you something. It is a constant uh, uh, teaching in the Bible that God is no respecter of persons. Jacob did not look at Dan and say, you're inferior, you are less. And look, we live in a society where people want to tell you, based on, based on your skin color, based on the amount of money you have, based on the job you have, on where you live, on the car you drive. You know, some people are better than others in the Bible. We're all the same. We're all sinners. You know what I love about our church? Is that it's just a multiplicity of different ages and different races and different economic sectors and you know and, and just different it's, it's just very diverse. And usually when people use the word diverse, they really mean perverse, because they're talking about homosexuals and all that. But you know, I, I just love the fact that our church, you know, I just as I look around, I just see all sorts of different colors. You know, I see all sorts of different uh, histories and different lives. And that's how life should be. That's how church should be. And he looked at Dan and he said, Hey, you're, you're one of the tribes. But, uh, but my mom's a slave. It doesn't matter. You're one of the tribes. Because you're in the family. And when you got into the family of God, Hey, you're, you're in. Well, my mom and my history and my... No, no, no. You're in. You're good. 
He said, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heel, so that his rider shall fall backward. And I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Number 19, this is probably my favorite one. Gad. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Gad's mother was Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, a concubine. And Gad, if you go back to Genesis chapter number 30, do it quickly, please. Man, I'm already out of time. Genesis chapter number 30, let's do it fast. Genesis chapter number 30, look at verse number 11. Look what it says. Genesis chapter number 30, look at number, verse 11. When Gad was born, this is, what they, this is what it says about him. Genesis 30, 11. It says, And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. The name Gad literally means a troop cometh. That's what his name means. And when Jacob was talking to his son Gad in verse 19, he says, Gad, a troop shall overcome him. But I love this. But he shall overcome at the last. Gad's name was literally soldier. Could you imagine if your dad, when you were born, your dad named you, his name will be soldier. You know, think about a soldier. I remember when I was in the Air Force, and go with me real quickly to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. But I remember when I was a soldier, they, they would say this to us often. And when I was in boot camp, and, and then uh, also when I was, you know, just in the, in the regular uh, military, whenever, you know, things got hard, sometimes when we were doing something, we are preparing units for deployment, we're doing, and then, you know, everyone, you know, you're, you're under pressure, and always things just go wrong. You know, the, the units aren't where they're supposed to be, they're not what they're supposed to be, things don't come, you know, and whenever people start getting kind of, you know, just like, oh, what's going on? This is what they always always, they'd always just say, press on. Press on. Press on. Here's what they're saying. Just, just keep going. Just keep going. Just don't stop. It doesn't matter. Just press on. And every once in a while, if somebody kept complaining, they'd tell them, just shut up and color. And don't ask me what that means because I have no idea. It just mean, they just said, it just means just get with the program. You know, it's like you give a kindergartner that's crying something. A little kindergartner crying you just time. Just be quiet. Just color. You know, that's what they would say to us. Just, just press on. And this is what, this is what Gad was. He was a troop. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy, are you there? 2 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse 3. The Bible says this. Thou therefore endure hardness. Why? Look what it says. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. No man that warreth. That means you're in the fight. That means we're in the war. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The Bible says, if you're going to be a soldier that's going to be a good soldier, that's going to endure hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you cannot fight a war while you're entangled in the affairs of this life. If this life's affairs are entangling you, if the affairs of this world and the problems of this world, you will never be a good soldier. Say, what do I do? Press on. Endure hardness. As a good soldier of, the, of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Go back to Genesis 49. Look what he said to Gad. Verse 19, he said, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. And I'm out of time, so let's just move quickly through the rest of these. And I'll just explain them to you so we can be done. Look at verse 20. It says, Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. He talks about 
prosperity for Asher. In verse 21, he says, Naphtali is a hind, loose, he giveth goodly words. Yeah, I, want, I just want you to notice this. He talks about his walk and he talks about his words. He refers to him as a hind, that's a female deer. And he says, you know, Naphtali is a hind let loose. He talks about his walk. He giveth goodly words, he talks about his words. And that's really the Christian life. What you say and then what you do. What you say has got to match what you do. And what you do has got to match what you say. Look at verse number 22. He gets to Joseph. And he talks about four things with Joseph. In verse 22 he talks about his fruitfulness. Joseph is a fruitful bow. Even a fruitful bow by a well whose branches run over the wall. In verse 23 he talks about his foes. Now the reason that Joseph has foes is because of the fruitfulness in verse 22. Do you understand that? He's fruitful in 22, and when you're fruitful, you automatically get foes. You automatically get enemies. You know, our church right now, you know, it's, it's smaller. But as soon as our church starts growing, we start getting a lot of people saved. We start really doing impact. You better believe it. The enemy is going to come this way. And he says, in verse 22, he's fruitful. And in verse 23, he talks about his foes. He says, the archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. Why did he have foes? Because he had fruit. Look at verse 25, he talks about his faith. He says, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Isn't that a great verse? He says, while the foe was attacking him, while the foe was engaging with him, he abode in strength, and his arms, uh, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God. See, because in verse 22 he had fruit, in verse 23 he had foes, and because in verse 23 he had foes, in verse 24 he had faith. And I'd like you to see this, because he had faith in verse 24, I'm sorry, in verse 25 he had faith. Because of the faith in verse 25, look at verse 25, it says, Even by the God of thy Father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with the blessings of heaven above, the blessings of deep that lieth under the blessings of the beast and of the womb. He says, because you had fruits, you had foes, because you had foes, you had faith, because you had faith, you have fullness. Look at verse 26, he says, The blessings of thy Father have prevailed above the blessings of thy progenitors unto the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the hand of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. See, a lot of us want to have fullness, but we don't want to have the faith. And a lot of times you get the faith because of the foe. And a lot of times you get the foe because of the fruit. That's how it goes. That's how it went for... For Joseph, look at, look at Benjamin. We're done right here. Look at verse 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey. And at night he shall divide the spoil. He talks about two things for Benjamin. He talks about his character and he talks about his conquest. He talks about his character. He says, he shall raven as a wolf. He shall devour his prey. That's how he's going to be. That word raven or raven, whatever, it's talking about consuming prey. It's talking about devouring prey. He said, here's Benjamin's character. He's a fighter. And because he's a fighter, look at his conquest. He says, he shall divide his spoil. And in verse 28, the Bible says, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them, and blessed them, 
Man, some of those I don't know if I consider a blessing. But that's what God said. He said, and bless them. Everyone according to his blessings, he blessed them. Now let me just give you one thought. I would hate to get to the end of my life and look at my 12 children. Do you have 12 children? I'm getting there. And look at my 12 children. And on my deathbed, have to deal with their sin and with their bad attitude and with their incompetence. You know, you really, as a parent, ought to deal with those things when they're here. So you don't have to deal with it when they're here. And Jacob was a great prince of God, and we understand Jacob was a great man of God. But he made a huge mistake with his, with his, with his sons. And the problem is this. At the end of his life, he tried to correct it. But let me tell you something. It's easier to correct a 7-year-old than it is to correct a 27-year-old. And it's easier to correct a 4-year-old than it is a 40-year-old. And before those adults break your heart, you need to get their heart when they're young. Because Jacob spoke clearly, spoke definitively. The Holy Spirit of God came upon him. But unfortunately, for some of them, he spoke too late. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And thank you for the passage tonight. And I understand we could not give it the justice it deserves. But Lord, I pray you bless the message to the hearts of those who are here. Bless those who... Uh, came tonight, and I pray you'd bless the, the fellowship that we'll have tonight with the Christmas party. We love you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.